0: All right, well again, welcome. Uh, we are in week eight, our uh, last week of our Stories in the Stained Glass. I've really, uh, really have enjoyed this series. When you, well, normally again, we, we like to preach through uh, books of the Bible. Uh, and, and topical, this is what kind of what we're doing. When you, kind of, you, know, you can pick whatever you want uh, in a sense so when you do a topical series, but it's hard, right? The Bible is a big book and there's a lot of different topics in there. And so as, as this has been a topical series, it. Um, it kind of restricts you, so it kind of focused it. So it actually has been a lot of fun uh, to do, and just to look at the history of the church, and we'll see a little bit more about that today. Uh, some pretty fascinating, fascinating things. Uh, this week, uh, I knew it was gonna be a million degrees in here. It's a little cooler than I thought it was gonna be, actually, uh, it's my first time ever wearing shorts, uh, preaching, and I probably didn't need to. I probably coulda, you know, manned up and put pants on. Um, anyways, I, uh, it's, I'm glad it's not too hot, <laughs> and I'm glad we figured the sound out. glad you can hear me, because I didn't want to scream over the fans. I mean, I like to scream, but I don't need to scream. All right, this week's sermon is called Victory in Jesus. We're going to be looking at just five verses. I'm going to read a lot uh, later on at the end uh, from the book of Revelation. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And, um, but I want to look at this idea of victory in, in Jesus. and. I don't know what comes to, to mind when you think of, of victory. Uh, it could be a sporting event, uh, right? The Bucks just won. I, here's, here's the truth. I don't really watch basketball, NBA. I stopped uh, after Jordan retired. And uh, so it's been, it's been a while. I don't, don't watch a lot of basketball. Uh, but I turned on the game six and I watched uh, half of the game. So it was kind of fun to catch the last little bit there of uh, Giannis, uh, it's pretty cool to watch. So. Anyways, but maybe think of uh, sports, maybe think of a victory that way. Uh, maybe think of a battle. I don't know. It, it's been a while since we've had a, a battle uh, in these parts. But uh, looking at maybe a brave heart or something like that, we think of like a, a victory. Usually that's what comes to mind. And so today though, though for the last week, we are going to be looking at specifically this window uh, right up here uh, that has this image of, of this lamb. Uh, that's holding a a banner, a flag of victory with this cross symbol on it. And we're gonna be looking specifically at this victory that we have in Jesus. Um, A lot of you know that uh, I played football. I'm not in these these photos. Uh, These are my coaches, Terry Price, uh, the bigger guy, he's uh, since passed, uh, and then my other coach's son. Is their number 36? That was like the. That was probably from the 90s. Is my guess. But we wore the exact same jerseys when I played. Uh, <laughs> we never had anything new. Uh, everything was used. Uh, we just ripped off uh, like uh, Michigan's logos and stuff. So we would like get their old equipment. So it was kind of fun, but not good. Um, we were terrible. Uh, my senior year, we did not win once. Um, it was fun. We got to play a lot. you played both ways. Uh, which you should not do, ever, uh, but playing D-end and then going out and playing tight end, uh, it was just not, it was terrible. Dude, we just would get beat up like crazy, uh, where the games we would end up being like 45 to seven, uh, where we would, we would lose, and or usually six, because we didn't have a kicker, uh, so we always had to go for it, you know, on fourth down, because we couldn't kick the ball. Um, it was just bad all around and uh but fun i I enjoyed it but i remember our uh one of our coaches not pictured here dr malmanger he used to use this phrase of blood makes the grass grow uh blood makes the grass grow and it's like i don't i don't think it does actually coach i think it probably kills the grass but uh, i'm glad you like that like that phrase um but here's here's why i even bring this up this is typically how it ended uh with us on the ground and someone doing a just walking into the end zone and see 40 in the background, like, what just happened? I don't know, we just let them score, go score. Um, that's not me pictured, but I looked like that a lot when I played. Uh, I bring it up because, again, we were really bad. We were a terrible football team, uh, and it, but it was fun. But I bring it up because after every single game, and I know I've shared this before, maybe you've forgotten, but after every game, we would go under the scoreboard and we would sing this old hymn, Victory in Jesus. So it didn't matter if we got whooped 45 to nothing, uh, we would all sing this song. There was one game I remember where Coach Price, uh, he was just like, get on the bus, he was so mad. Uh, We lost, I think we lost seven to six. Um, and We should have won, but we didn't. And that was the only time I remember him not singing victory in Jesus. Uh, (laughs) But we normally would. We'd, uh, we had this rock that the seniors would paint, and we'd go over by that if we were at home, and, and uh, we'd sing this, this song, and we'd hold up our helmets, and every time that we got to the word victory, we'd, you know, we'd lift it up. And it was always uh, a good reminder, right? Obviously, physically, on the gridiron, we got destroyed. Just got mopped up. But to remember, that's not what it's all about. That it's not about making the grass grow with someone else's blood. Uh, or my blood. It was about victory in Jesus. And so what I want to look at, I'm going to read this in just a minute, but just to to remind us that no matter what's going on in the world, Jesus wins. He's won and he's winning and he's going to win. It's already finished. We already know how the story ends as I'm going to read from the book of Revelation. That no matter what tumultuous, tumultuous, what am I trying to say? Tumultuous? Whatever turmoil is going on in your life right now, I can rest and know that Jesus has won the victory. And so, this song that we would sing I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning and his precious blood's atoning. And then I repented of my sins and won. The victory and the chorus then goes oh victory in jesus my savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me ere i knew him and all my love is due him he plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood and that was a song that we would sing after getting beat up knowing that this is what matters that jesus has already won the victory i want to just look at these five verses uh, I'm not really going to spend a lot of time uh, walking through this, as we, we could, but it just starts off in 1 John chapter 5, looking at verse 1. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Everyone who believes, everyone who puts their faith, there's, there's so many things about church and misconception about what is the church about, and, and, and is it some political party? No, it's kingdom of God always and about Jesus and everyone who believes this faith. I don't do something. I don't have to go, go to this confession. I don't have to go. To, I confess to Jesus. And everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Christ isn't like a last name. right? It's not Jesus Christ as in Brian Silver. Christ means Messiah. It means the chosen one, the promised one. And we could spend a lot of time going through the Old Testament and looking at prophecies that are about Jesus, this Messiah who is gonna come. Yeshua is uh, the Hebrew name for Jesus. And as we look at that, say, this, but we believe that Jesus isn't just a man, wasn't just born thousands of years ago in Bethlehem, but he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And then if we believe that Jesus Christ is born, then we, then we are born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. And again, think of what storyline, uh, what timeline story time are we in, right? We're in the new covenant, and these commands aren't going back Old Testament, that Christ has instituted a new covenant with his body and his blood. And these commands that he gives are to love our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. That now there's something that shifts, that I don't just love God or worship or do these things because I have to, but now because I get to. And his commands are not burdensome. I love that phrase of his commands are not burdensome because I know from the outside looking in to a church, a Baptist church, people think, oh man, you guys got a lot of rules. Uh, I grew up that way. All right? we, we had a lot of rules. We did have a lot of rules. And a lot of the rules I grew up with were totally unnecessary. <laughs> but there's a lot of rules within Christianity that, that, that should be life-giving. Should be, uh, we, should, we should flourish in that. That there are people outside of the church that would say, oh no, I still actually have this ethic of monogamy in my relationship with my spouse. All right? That's a good thing. That's taught in Scripture. These are not burdensome. These are life-giving. There's nothing in the scripture that is, that is arbitrary or some law that just goes, that doesn't make any sense. It might be difficult for us to fully comprehend everything that, that Christ teaches, but it's not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? What is the victory? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, There's, right over here on this window, you can see Horace Thompson, born May 2nd, 1827, died January 28th, 1880, he was 52. Horace Thompson, the history behind him, and then the next one over, you can see J. Egbert Thompson, Egbert, that's a fun name. Uh, These were brothers. Uh, Horace was the first president of First First National Bank. So if you go into St. Paul and you see this big building that says first, uh, that's this guy, okay? He started that. It didn't look like that back then. Uh, but they started, he started this bank and he was very wealthy, very wealthy man, and his family obviously uh, very wealthy. And so the reason why this building is as pretty as it is is because of people like Horace and his brother and his family, uh, which I'll talk about, even his wife, that they were able to give back to this church and to the community. Uh, because I always joke, Baptists didn't make buildings like this. This is a very unique building in the fact that it's always been Baptist, uh, and it's pretty. (laughs) The Catholics and the Lutherans built pretty churches. Baptists did not. It was bricks and some sheetrock, and now we're gonna call it, we're good. Uh, This building obviously uh, is very different, and it's because of this guy, Horace Thompson. Uh, This was the the bank uh, originally, And as I was looking at, I was reading through the Pioneer Press, and uh, it was robbed at one point. Um, And the the headline: If it looks like these individuals are in the morgue, it's because they are. (laughs) They, and those are bullet wounds, I think, on them. And that made it in the newspaper, and it said the headline said, uh, "Robbers killed and then captured." It's like, well, yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Anyways, I just thought that was interesting. Now this, this is a dollar bill that was made at the First National Bank, and you can see the two signatures on that are Horace Thompson and Edgar Thompson, uh, that they were the president and then I think it was called a uh, a clergy or something, I forget what it was called, but someone who signed all the dollar bills, and, uh, and they printed these. Now what's interesting is that dollar bill was worth $25 in today's money. Uh, In this building, uh, there's a lot of information about this building that we could get into, but I think it's really, really fascinating. Um, Let me just read this real quick. It says, the building was constructed by the uh, Monroe and Romaine Shire members of the congregation. Monroe Shire supervised the entire project and his firm made all the decorative woodwork for the interior. Ornamental arches and trim of the interior was carved on site. Uh, with black walnut and butternut. So in case you were curious, what kind of wood is this? Now you know. It is black walnut and butternut. Didn't know butternut was a type of wood, but it is. The building was dedicated May 31st, 1875. The Pioneer Press declared it the largest church building in St. Paul and the finest building west of Chicago. It's because it was like the only building west of Chicago back then. The construction, the cost of the building, so this is where it gets interesting. The lot that was purchased, this land, it was $16,000. The original cost of this building was 90, $94,000. The cost of the organ was $8,000, which at one point, this was the largest machine in the world, which is kind of fun. The staple clock was $800. So that means a total cost of $120,000. Total cost of $120,000. You multiply that by 25, that's over $3 million. So the church starts building this beautiful building, this beautiful sanctuary, and obviously they're going in debt to a bank. Guess which bank it was? First, First National Bank. This guy's bank. And then what happens? He dies. He dies at the age of 52, and what he does, which I find fascinating and amazing, is that his wife and his family say, Horace never would have made you pay this money We'll buy it. We'll pay it. And so Horace, in his death, <laughs> pays the debt of First Baptist. And so, if we look at this idea in First John chapter 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We have victory in Jesus. And so while Horace paid off a financial debt for the church, Jesus pays our moral debt that in his death, we're set free from the bondage and chains of death and slavery and sin. But unlike Horace, Jesus doesn't stay dead. Jesus doesn't stay in the grave. And I, and I was writing that down this morning and I was like, do you, like, do you hear yourself? He didn't stay dead. Right? That, that, that should... That doesn't make any sense. That should blow our minds, but I think when we, when we grow up in the church, yeah, of course Jesus raised from the dead. He rose from the dead, and he stands in victory. He wins. So again, looking at these verses, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Who is it that overcomes the world only? the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to go through the book of Revelation. I don't have it typed up, it won't be on the screen, Uh, but I want to read a little bit, and maybe just give a couple commentaries on this, just because the book of Revelation is a very confusing book, Uh, it can be. I would love, someday, at some point, to go through the book of Revelation. It's a fantastic book. It's a book that I know, thankfully, uh, my sermons were not recorded, because this was the the book of Revelation was the first book that I ever preached through. Uh, Twelve years ago, when I was whatever the 2008 down in Illinois, and I couldn't disagree with myself any more than what I said to where I'm at now. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm wishy-washy or i uh, you know something changed, but my theology did. Uh, I had this uh, understanding, uh, hermeneutic. Uh, we Paul and I are going to be teaching a hermeneutic seminar pretty soon. You can come to that. But it's the lens in which I read the Bible, and something totally changed, that I grew up in a certain camp, that everything was about uh, true national Israel, and that changes the way you read the Bible. And so that, that shifted, where I believe that the church is Israel, uh, and we'll get into that. But the book of Revelation can be very confusing. Uh, and so I just want to read it, and, and so the way that you can read the book of Revelation, if you're, ever, if you're like, oh, I'm going to try to read it again you got to keep in mind, it's, it's this cool, fun word called recapitulation. And what it means is that the book of Revelation repeats itself. So it tells the same story. Think of like a spiral, right, or a coil. And so when you're looking at it, you're not just, it's not linear, that you're, you're reading it and it's chronological, that you're hitting the same story multiple times as you progress throughout the book. And so you can read it and go, man, it sounds like we just talked about this four chapters ago. Yes, because we did. Uh, This is a a literary device. It's used a lot. It's used in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that you have the creation story and a retelling of the creation story. But if you line them up, you go, these don't really seem to make sense together. It's because that's not the point. So Revelation, thinking of it that way, I'm not going to get into this, but I just want to read a little bit here, starting in verse 1, 1 through 3. It says, The revelation from Jesus Christ. If you were to open your Bible right now, it would say the revelation of the Apostle John or the revelation of John, and the first words are the revelation from Jesus Christ. All right, It's, it's Jesus' visions that he gives to John. Uh, and so it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take heart to what is written, because the time is near." So we have this vision of Jesus who's telling John these things that are gonna happen. And then in verse nine, it starts where it says, "'I, John, your brother and companion "'in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance "'that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos "'because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus.'" John, is a, is, his story is crazy. He's the only uh, apostle who was not martyred. Uh, the stories are that he was, it was attempted uh, that they tried to kill him. They put him in some boiling oil, and that didn't kill him. It scarred him pretty badly, and they just put him on an island and said, yeah, you're, gonna be, uh, you're just going to live there. So he's in, in a house arrest in Patmos. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet which said, Write in a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, the Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So when you read the book of Revelation, you're going you're to hear John write these words that he's getting from Jesus, and it's going to be a lot of similes, like and as. It was like this, and it's always loud and sudden. And so John is using human language to describe things that would be very difficult to describe. Uh, I remember, remember the movie Avatar. Remember that movie? So it's an alien world, right? If you've never seen it, that's okay. You're not missing much. Uh, it's this alien world, but they have these big monsters in this, in this world. And if I, I could sit here and I could try to, to describe one of these aliens, right? I forget the name of it, right? But it, it kind of is like a big giant panther with like eight legs and what? Right, what, that doesn't make any sense, right? But, but that's, that's this language, metaphor, analogy uh, that John is using but he's seen something. He's actually seen something. He just has to say it was kind of like this. I don't really know how to explain it. So I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was, like, was white like wool, and white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet were bronze, glowing like in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. This is the victory in Jesus. We know how this story ends. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and I and look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, what will take place later. So there's, there's this verse in, in 19 that when we look at the book of Revelation, that is, can be confusing to some people, is to say, write, therefore, what you have seen. So something I'm writing about the past, and then it says, write what is now, and then write what will take place later. All right, so there are kind of three chunks. And depending on your hermeneutic, how you read the Bible, it depends on what is future and what's not. Uh, I'll play my cards. I think the majority of the book of Revelation has already happened in the past, uh, that a lot of that was fulfilled up through 70 AD. We'll get into all that some other day. And there's only chapter 21 and 22 that are still gonna be in the future because Jesus is not here physically. I can't touch him. That will happen someday, but not yet. But then we get to the end in chapter 21. This is the future. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, no longer any more wickedness. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In verse five, one of my favorite verses right here about Jesus and the victory he's already won. He who was seated on the throne, he's sitting down. Right? And so something can be going on in our life that just feels crazy and out of control and I don't know what to do about this and I'm, I'm afraid or I'm feeling anxious or I'm depressed. Jesus is seated on the throne and he says, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. If you've been around Lower Town for a while, we read these verses a lot, they should be pretty familiar. And normally I stop there, but I want to read a couple more verses. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, Alpha and Omega is just A to Z in the Greek language. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Is that phrase from this idea in 1 John that we just looked at that those of us who believe who are in Christ are brothers, are children of God. But there's a warning. To those who don't believe, but to the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and idolaters and all liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Those of us who are in Christ don't have to experience the second death. We're going to experience the first physical death. That's it. Why? Because Jesus wins the victory. So I don't know what's going on in all of your lives. Some of you, I know there's some crazy stuff going on that are completely out of your control. Jesus is seated on the throne. And so just in gospel application, he loved me before I even knew who he was. And all of my love that I have that is now devoted to him, I can do this because he plunged me in victory beneath his cleansing blood. Every week, like usual, we get to take communion. And, and so if, it, if you didn't get it when you came in, there's some elements back there. The juice that represents the, the blood of Christ, that represents this, the new covenant in his blood, that we get to participate in the victory of Jesus that we can look at these windows and look at Horace Thompson's name every time we walk in here and go, that guy paid a debt in his death the same way Jesus pays our debt in his death. But he doesn't stay in the grave. He rises from the grave and he gives us everlasting, eternal life. And as we partake of these elements, all you have to do is be a a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church. But if you love Jesus, we say, yes, I'm a child of the king. That's my Jesus. He won victory for me over my sin, over my death, and my despair, then we get to drink those elements together. We get to break that little wafer that represents the, the body of Christ being broken for us. And we can remember what it is that Christ did for us, but he doesn't stay dead. He raises from the dead so that we can have life eternal. Let's pray. And we'll sing a couple songs of worship, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our opportunity again to be here. Thank you for Horace, thank you for um, his brother, thank you for his wife and his family that even after he died, uh, with their wealth, was able, were able to pay off this building. Uh, that this church now for 172 years has been in this neighborhood uh, preaching the gospel, So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the history and the heritage that is here. But we don't want to just look in the past. We don't want to just look currently. God, we want you to do a move, movement uh, in this neighborhood, in this community, in this church. That we want to see people know you. We want to see people believe in you and the victory that you have already won. That they can't do anything. They can't merit it. They just have to believe. And so God, I pray that we would rest, no matter what's going on in our lives, that we would rest in the victory, knowing that you are seated on the throne And there's a victory in Jesus. We pray it in his most precious, most beautiful, amazing name. Amen.